That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. This is Totally 80s. The podcast dedicated to the music of the greatest decade ever. So, turn up your Walkman, loosen that scrunchie, and get ready to talk 80s with your host... Lindsay Parker. Hi, I'm Lindsay Parker from Yahoo Entertainment, and welcome to another episode of Totally 80s. We love hearing from you, so why not take a second to follow us at Totally 80s on Facebook and Instagram, or email us your comments and show ideas to podcast at totally80s.com. And just a reminder, if you want to see our fabulous faces, you can also catch this episode on video on our Totally 80s YouTube channel. So go check that out. So I'm real excited about this conversation today. I did not have this on my 2022 bingo card, but the hottest artist of 2022 is Kate Bush, a very happy development, more than 37 years in the making, thanks to Stranger Things, and apparently Winona Ryder, who I've heard was pushing for Kate's 1985 single, Running Up That Hill, to be featured on Stranger Things for years. The song, Against All Odds, has gone to number one in multiple countries. It has set all sorts of chart records for Kate, including making her the oldest female artist to have a U.S. number one. She beat out a record that had been held for many years by Cher's Believe. Sorry, Cher. Kate Bush is number one now. Of course, there's much, much, much more to Kate Bush and her discography than Running Up That Hill. So it's time to take a deep dive into that discography and her legacy with my two Kate Bush experts for the day. First joining me is author and NPR music critic Ann Powers, one of the most respected voices in music journalism today or any day, and the writer of the recent eloquent essay, How Kate Bush's The Dreaming Made My Monsters My Own. Welcome to the show, Ann. Thank you so much for having me. I was here to talk Kate. I know. I'm really excited to get all your thoughts because I love that essay. And also joining us today is a rising recording artist and an icon from RuPaul's Drag Race UK, someone who loves Kate so much they have her name tattooed on their knuckles, I believe, memorably dressed as Kate Bush for Drag Race UK's British gay icon runway challenge, one of my favorite runway challenges ever. It's Ginny Lemon. Well, I am Babs. How are you doing? I'm so excited to be here. Happy Kate-mas. <laughs> I know. Happy Kate Day to us all. So I'm just going to dive right into it because, like I said, there's so much to unpack. Um, as I mentioned, all this sort of came about, this resurgence of Kate, not that she needed a resurgence in our lives, but, you know, on a global scale because of Stranger Things. And Stranger Things obviously has lots of 80s music and the show has moved the needle in previous times to a lesser degree for other songs like, you know, Lamal's Never Ending Story got a bit of a bump from the show, I remember. But why this song to this degree? I don't think it, I mean, obviously it was in a really amazing scene. I don't know if you guys seen it, but it's, I think it's more than that. Like, why do you think this resonates so much? Why the timing was right for this Kate Bush resurgence to happen? Well, you know, Running Up That Hill can, is a song that operates on so many different levels. And there's a backstory that we can talk about or kind of the, the quote unquote real story of the lyrics. But the, the, the essential message of the song is about resilience. You know, it's about we're, go, we're reaching, we're reaching, we're stumbling back, we're reaching, we're stumbling back. It's like that myth of Sisyphus. If only could, I'd make a deal with 
And let's just talk about the state of the world. We're all feeling that now. So I really think it's that anthemic message at the core of the song that made it resonate with so many people. Interesting. I grew up in Los Angeles where K-Rock played it all the time. To me, it was a hit. I'm kind of surprised that there are a lot of people who weren't already familiar with the song, even people my own age. Jenny, do you remember where you were when when you first heard Running Up That Hill? Does the song resonate with you in that way? Oh, I mean, absolutely. I think the first time I would have heard it would have been my sister, um, who who used to always play Kate records to me. Um, and I remember kind of, I was always very... Um, uh, particular about how I listen to things. So I like to think, listen to things, you know, the first album, then the second and the third and then the fourth. So it wasn't kind of after the dreaming, my my mind had been blown. So when it came to uh, the Hounds of Love and um, and running up that hill, it, obviously the, the whole album is just filled with bangers. It's so like af- banger after banger after banger. And I think the reason it probably resurged so much this year was probably because of the overall theme of the show and the music that we're hearing at the moment, it's got that sort of 80s dark pop kind of, you know, no one's really quite doing it well, but it's got that sound. And I think Kate kind of epitomizes that sort of, I hate the word dark pop, but that dark pop sound that the kind of, that the kids are craving for, you know, it's kind of, instead of going for this formulaic, um, reductive version, you just go straight to the source, which is the Kate song, you know, the kind of, Go, go to the core. And I think probably within that message and what the show was trying to achieve, it kind of struck a lot of people. Um, and I tell you, the most amazing thing for me is the young people that have responded to it. I've started singing that song within my sets at Pride, kind of across the UK. And the amount of young people, that's the one they sing along to out of all the songs. And I think, oh my God, like from then to now, young people are resonating with it. So that, that's amazing. I'm taking off my earrings because I'm nodding so much in agreement with you, Jenny, that I'm making noise on my headphones. So. <laughs> well, as I mentioned, I mean, obviously running up that hill is what's put Kate on the radar for a lot of people, a lot of young people right now. But you, Jenny, mentioned the dreaming. And one of the reasons I invited uh, Anne to be on the show was, as I mentioned, the NPR essay, How Kate Bush's The Dreaming Made My Monsters My Own. And for a lot of super fans of Kate, The Dreaming is the album. And Mm -hmm. uh, or at least the album. And for, you know, obviously a lot of people would argue her least commercially accessible album, her weirdest album. But I'd love to start talking about why that album. And also, I'm curious your thoughts, like if there is someone who only knew Kate Bush from Stranger Things, right? uh, That hill. How are they going to react if they put the dreaming on? You know what I mean? (laughs) Are they going to dig it? Are they going to be open minded to it? They're going to be like, what the hell is this? So, yeah, let's talk about that album a bit. Uh, Yeah, I mean, Kate Bush herself called The Dreaming her mad album. And Ginny, it's exciting to me that you also felt that album so strongly when you first heard it. For me, it was an absolute revelation. You know, it was... It, yeah. it it was beyond the bounds of what I thought pop music could do. And I mean, I was like that new wave punk girl who, you know, fashion was new wave, aggressiveness was in my heart was punk. So it's not like I hadn't heard wild music. And in fact, I remember when I, I found Kate's music, not the dreaming at first at a church rummage sale and some DJ in Seattle, Washington, where I grew up was selling their records at this church rummage sale, jumble sale. And I bought that record and the Susie and the Banshees first record. It was sort of like two rows diverge in a yellow wood. Do I go to the light? Do I go to the dark? (laughs) I have to say I went to the light, but that wildness, that wildness of those early records, I think it's, it's, 
it's perfect for now for young people yeah. today whose identities are really fluid, who are daring to be themselves in ways that I think it was harder to do publicly in the 80s. So I, I just feel like the dreaming is actually the perfect soundtrack to 2022. Oh, I, I couldn't agree with you like uh, more, you know, the dreaming. But I, I say for 2022, for me, it's kind of every single year of my life. You know? <laughs> <The> album, <laughs> kind of, it, it comes to you. I think it comes to you more times and sometimes it kind of it is like a calling. Mm. And I don't know whether it's that kind of it almost has, obviously it has that spiritualistic, the ritualistic side and the element of to it, but the, the way that it crashes with the synthesizers, like I said before, that sound that people are searching for now, I think music has changed so much that it's kind of come back to itself and young people are searching for this new kind of sound. And then if you kind of go back to the innovators, you know, like Kate, who kind of a really innovative sound and how you can listen to it, how you can make a pop song, how you can do a song with, Donkey calls, you know, people, that's, that's, it's like, I can't quite think of like a more simplistic joy than hearing Kate or a Kate song when she's shrilling away or doing yeah. a donkey call or, or howling. <laughs> it's that kind of freedom and fun. But it's not just that side as well. You can get the fun and the freedom in her lyrics and the way she the way she talks. I was listening to recently her cover of Sexual Healing, mm. which is kind of the way she the way she sings it, the way she moves her mouth during it, you know, it's so playful, it's so sensual, it's not just these kind of shrieking sounds, it's it's the way they play with all of those sounds. We're talking about an artist who found sensuality and playfulness in doing the laundry when she recorded mm -hmm. Mrs. Bartolozzi yeah. for <laughs> Ariel. So yes, Kate, Kate enchants everything, I think. Yeah. <laughs> All our dirty clothes that hadn't gone into the wash And all your shirts and jeans and things but I'm so glad you mentioned the synthesizer because, of course, The Dreaming was the first record she wrote entirely on the Fairlight CMI, which was the yeah. first mm. uh, digital workstation that had a sampler built in. So as hip hop was beginning to really take hold in the States, here's Kate making a record that could could take any sound and incorporate it, you know, shattering glass or didgeridoos or as you said you know her her crazy vocals where she's every i think get out of my house needs a revival because we all want to talk oh, about yeah. the brain like a donkey <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but i mean the the importance of the fair like cannot be underestimated and and that also parallels how music is made today and jenny i'm sure you could speak to this you know, music makers have taken hold and charge of their own process yeah. using technology. And she was a pioneer of that. Yeah, Ginny, I wanted to piggyback onto Anne's question. You make music, electronic-based music. How does the influence of Kate factor into that? Well, I always like to call myself the Kate Bush of drag, you know, because I like to highly flatter myself at all times. <laughs> um, and I think that's the reason of the idea of creating music and performance for me, that, that the elements that kind of, the two kind of go together, but the, the two clash at the, at the same time, you know? So I've always liked the the private side that Kate has with her private life and making the music. And there's a quintessential Britishness as well of, you know, like doing a, a love song to laundry. 
you know, there's kind of the, the mundane things. It's kind of being domestic and being hidden away and being private and writing these things. And I think, you know, we all sit and play with our phones and we all sit and flick as much as we can through every single thing that we can digest. So if we can sit and glitch around and play with music and go, oh, well, this is fun. And it's kind of more accessible than sitting at a piano or a guitar. You can, you know, kids today, people like myself, anybody, anyone that can flick a phone can create music, basically. Mm -hmm. So creating electronic music in your own domesticity, that's the kind of essence, if that makes any sense at all. That's the essence of, of which I like. And then and then thinking about that and going out and being very performative with it and then seeing how you can do. You think of Kate as a performer from her last live shows before the dawn and you look at the the way that it was performed, you know, and especially the ninth wave was, was mm. given over to such a performance level. The music was there. So you're able to do that thing kind of privately and, you know, almost kind of do your geeky bits at home. And so the, the idea of before that you... Kate was kind of playing with a synthesizer and smashing things and (laughs) bits and things to create that. Now we're here kind of at home playing with all of our gadgets and gizmos. Ginny, did you go? I believe you. I went to the very last night of the before the dawn residency. I am the kind of person that will get on a plane to go to concerts. And I absolutely knew if I wanted to ever see Kate Bush in my lifetime, I needed to go to her. I needed to fly to her. It was like her first performances since 1979. This is not an artist that's going to headline Coachella or anything or Glastonbury. <laughs> no, so, sadly. Sadly. I mean, I hope for it every year. So I went out. I went on the last night, which I believe was in, I think it was October 1st of 2014. You know, she did something like 30 dates at the Hammersmith. And I mean, I was crying pretty much the minute she got on stage. Did either of you go out there to any any of those shows? Sadly, I regret I did not jump on the plane. So, uh, so I did not. Did you, Jenny? Well, I mean, uh, in, in that case, Anne, I went twice, so I went for you as well. <laughs> I was very oh, thank lucky you. to be able to go twice. I can um, feel it. I can feel the osmosis. You're sending me the experience. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Didn't you exactly like propose proposed to your husband in one of the shows or something? Oh, yeah, that's right. That is correct. Well, I think it's always good that I saw her twice because I did. I, I've been with my husband now for, well, we've been together 16 years. So when I proposed, I was like, hey, it's about time I proposed and I wanted to do it. Uh, during the whole show, I thought, okay, this is a once in a lifetime opportunity. But then it's like, well, I don't really want to like distract from Kate. So you know, <laughs> I kept putting it off and putting it off. And then I thought, well, I'll do it during his favorite song. And then I thought, well, no, because that would ruin the favorite song. So you kept going. And it was right at the end when um, <laughs> doing the encore of Cloud Busting and I got down and proposed. So, um, so that was how could he say no? How could he say no? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> that would be very difficult. So it wasn't until the next time that I could kind of fully watch and enjoy the show. And I always remember this. This is my kind of claim to fame. I remember um, we were sat on like the third row from the front on the second time. We were very blessed. And PJ Harvey was sat behind me. And I always remember PJ Harvey there with a notebook. Oh, my gosh. You know, that that kind of summed it up for me. It was like a call, like a spiritual call to go see our goddess. And take note, you know, like she is speaking like what... What has she said to the nation? Like, what, how can we do better as performers <laughs> and writers? And, you know, because you, you, you list the names of people that were there. I, I think Grace Jones was there. I, Grace oh, Jones wow. was on my show. 
I know that not at my show, actually, David Gilmore, who, of course, famously was there from the start with Kate Bush producer demo. David Gilmore was at my night because it was the last night. I know Grace Jones was there. Not the night I was there, but one of the other nights, Big Boy was there. And, you know, Mm -hmm. I've always entertained and my heart is full with how much Big Boy loves Kate Bush. And apparently Mm -hmm. when he went out to that show, they ended up having dinner together. And the rumor is that there's a, well, it's not a rumor, it's happening. There is a duet between Big Boy and Kate Bush. Oh, yeah. Very soon. Like, why isn't he releasing it right now? But hopefully, you know, soon. But, you know, yeah, everybody wanted to go to that show. Everybody flew out to that show. And I love that PJ Harvey story, Jenny, because I actually have a list, you know, at some point I wanted in this conversation to kind of, so we might as well do it now. Kate's legacy and newer artists. And I had Bjork, I had Tori Amos, which is obvious in Florence and Machine, Goldfrap, Sinead O'Connor, St. Vincent, Grimes, FKA Twigs, Banks, Karen O. And I had PJ Harvey down on yeah. that list. So, Anne, I would love, because you've written so many books about women in music and stuff. Can you talk a little mm-hmm. bit about how Kate's legacy, I've obviously listed a bunch of ours, but you could probably more eloquently talk about what it is that resonates with younger women today. Well, I think it's women and men and and people of all genders who who love the freedom uh, Kate Kate presented to us. Kate enacted uh, uh, to be able to move from one identity to another, you know. And this highly theatrical music that also is so feelingful, you know. And so that that's the thing that I think is very profound about or many. One of the many things very profound about her music is is here is music that is just high glam, very art rock, but its essence are those little moments of I'm in the battlefield and I have to make a decision or I've lost someone I love and this is how it feels or (laughs) I don't know. I I am uh, some kind of creature, perhaps not even human, but I still am going through my feelings, you know, and, and that I see everywhere. It's hard to separate Kate's, influence from the influence of people like David Bowie, I think, you know, but I I think she should be held up. Oh, I was going to say next to David Bowie. Maybe that's a little bit nuts because Bowie. I mean, if anyone can be, it would be her. (laughs) Let's just say, you know, to, to use uh, some, some possibly stale Christian metaphors. If Bowie is the old Testament, Kate is the new Testament. (laughs) You know, She brought forward that legacy. And I, I think any kind of artist who plays with persona, who plays with multiple vocalities are, she is part of what they are tapping into. So, you know, I'd even say R&B artists like, uh, I don't know, Raven Lene, for example, might be taken from her, you know, there's so much, or Solange or something, you know. Solange actually covered cloud busting at Coachella once I was there. Right. So there you go. I think, I think she's the go-to to kind of think about how the theatrical, the high concept relates to the emotional and the heart. And of course, if you're talking R&B, I mean, what is arguably the most successful Kate Bush cover? It's Maxwell's Maxwell. women's work. I mean, yeah. I actually, you know, when we're talking about men, there's, you know, a lot of people. I remember when uh, the Stranger Things thing came out, there were a lot of, I guess, probably millennial age people now who were saying that their introduction to, to Running Up the Hill had been Placebo's cover, which is actually right. e- excellent. And then I do want to give a shout out to the future heads because I don't think their Hounds of Love cover got enough love at the time. I thought that was a, a really good cover. And interestingly, I did want to talk about the fact that, you know, Kate Bush has been up for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. 
twice I do kind of, she's been nominated, not uh, inducted. And I kind of feel like if this stranger thing phenomenon had happened just a few months or weeks earlier, the vote might've gone a different way, but yeah. to talk about other covers, I think it's really interesting that Pat Benatar, who is getting in this year, uh, she, you know, did a cover of Wuthering Heights. And yeah. I kind of think that when Pat does the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, I feel like she should cover that song at the ceremony to sort of give a nod. Because when I was voting, I was really like, do I go Pat? Do I go Kate? You know, mm. but I think it's really great. So do you have any covers that either of you want to mention that I haven't already mentioned or that you want to expound upon? I do have a couple covers. First of all, there's a wonderful album came out, I don't know, maybe eight years ago by a jazz singer named Theo Blechman, uh, German born, I believe, lives in New York, Ext amazing voice, really interesting thinker. And, and Theo did an entire album of Kate covers. It's called Hello Earth. It's really beautiful. Theo trained with Meredith Monk and is a, you know, a great avant-garde vocalist. So to hear Theo's voice with Kate's song. That's one of my favorites. But I also want to mention Cecile McLaurin Salvant, another groundbreaking jazz vocalist. And on Cecile's latest record, she covers Wuthering Heights. And she also has this amazing theater work called La, La, La I can't pronounce it right. Sorry, my French is bad. La Ogress. It's the ogre, the, the woman ogre, very much inspired by Kate. So you see Kate influencing the jazz world as well as every other one. It's hard because the covers that I do tend to be glorified cabaret, kind of glorified mm -hmm. karaoke. But if I was going to be covering something, I'd take a lot more kind of in-depth time um, to think about things. Because I always find covering people that you um, love is is much harder. You know, it's hard, it's yes. much easier for songs that you don't know that well to kind of deconstruct. But trying to cover Kate for me is a bit, it's a bit too close for home sometimes. So I'm like, oh, no, I, I can't do it. But um, I tell you who did do a beautiful cover of Cloud Busting. I did a podcast recently with Chesney Hawks of the one and only Chesney Hawks. Um, mm -hmm. And they did a cover for me. They, um, they're a friend of mine. They wanted to do a cover of my, one of my favorite songs. So they did Cloud Busting. And he's only played it once, um, once or twice. And I keep saying, Chez, you need to, you need to play this live because it, it's, it's really, really gorgeous. And, and, Another one, it's a very strange one, but I, I literally just typed in onto YouTube. I was like, Kate Bush cover breathing. And there's this one person, this one random video, I can't think of the artist's name, and they've just released a cover of breathing. And it's mm. um, kind of vocal, loopy, very, it's definitely a take on the original. And I thought mm. it was really interesting, but I cannot find anything else. I don't know the artist's name, but if you type Kate Bush cover breathing, and search that and I thought oh more stuff like that you know I want to hear more wow. kind of interesting covers not just kind of formulaic this is my favorite song so I'm singing this woman's word to make you cry I'm like no come on let's unpick sat in your lap let's let's do that and do that on some accordions or something let's go wild <laughs> <laughs> that would be a challenge that one would to be... cover I feel like <laughs> yeah, didn't, you know... didn't she get inspired by Stevie Wonder on that song wasn't that a Stevie Wonder yes you mentioned the fair light earlier yes yeah, she came home from a Stevie Wonder concert and made that song. Just the construction of that song is so, it's just so, this is like, yeah. it's like a magic castle. I'd love to hear a great cover 
of that song. Oh, we should shout out Halsey too, who of course, after the Stranger Things moment, was covering Running Up That Hill in concert and I think talking a lot about Kate's influence. I think Halsey's a great example of a of a pop artist right now who, you know, who took from Kate both the the challenge to be yourself and then also the idea that you can be making quote unquote mainstream pop, whatever that is, that is also avant-garde, you know. And Halsey, of course, also working with uh our friends, the Nine Inch Nails crew, they're totally 80s and they're totally 90s. So there you go. <laughs> there you go. Well, Ginny, well, I, I mentioned at the top of this podcast that I first, obviously, as most people did, became aware of your Kate fandom because of you dressing as Kate on the first episode, one of the greatest runway challenges in Drag Race history, which was the British Gay Icon Challenge. And there were people dressed as Boy George and David Bowie and Naomi Campbell and it was and Princess Julia. I mean, <laughs> it was so great. I was just in heaven. But I'm very curious about, obviously, I know why you chose Kate because you're a fan, but what makes her uh, a British gay icon, queer icon for you? Why did you choose her for that challenge? I think Anne mentioned it um, before previously. It's this, this idea of the, the theatrical and this kind of gender-defying theatrics as well. The songs that are written um, are not just from one perspective. They can be seen from many perspective so for drag and in a, on a performative level it's 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 gold you know it's gold dust for Kate's songs because we can perform them create them costume them choreograph them to really create a world and that's what's amazing about Kate's music and and why that and drag really works together for me it was very important to to represent to Kate it was also a very easy easy dress up gig you know it was cheap mm-hmm. it was quick I just get myself a red dress and a big <laughs> Uh, a big fluffy um, wig and some, you know, it was great. And that was the one thing I wanted to kind of introduce people who hadn't seen Kate before. So one of my huge reasons to go on to Drag Race was that I'm I'm not kind of like all the other drag queens, you know, my influences are completely different. I mm. worship at the altar of kind of <laughs> um, Kate Bush, Tori Amos, you know, th- those mm. are my idols. It's not these other fierce idols. So I wanted to bring that element to drag. So to do that look, and especially the Wuthering Heights red dress look, was a, it's kind of, it's an iconic look. You can't help but resonate with that look. However, if I was to do it again, I'd probably want to do something a bit more of a Kate fandom look. And that's where ah. I, things get more interesting. <laughs> I'd love to do, you know, the big uh, velvet hat for the Central World video. Mm. Or, um, I, we've mentioned it before. But, oh, no, the suspended in gaffer with the, oh, yeah. the grey boiler suit and with all the sand. I mean, those looks would be ideal, but I, <laughs> they wouldn't quite read, I think, for, for a novice. Right, well, when you I came love- out, we knew exactly what you were referencing, which was why it was so perfect. To me, my favorite image of Kate from that time when I was first discovering her is her in the bat wings, you know, oh, those pictures yeah. of her in the bat wings. And the thing that makes it is her face. You know, she has this look on her face like she has transformed into that creature. And then, of course, I also like the lion <laughs> costume on Lionheart. But yeah. the, that's for the furries in the crowd. <laughs> this is the, <laughs> the Kate furry moment. <laughs> Since we're talking about Wuthering Heights and Britain and Kate cosplay. Jenny, have you ever been to this thing called the like the most weathering heights day ever? It's some kind of like festival where everybody dresses up like how you did on Drag Race as Kate and they like run around a maypole somewhere in England. Do you know what I'm talking about? 
I ha- I have seen it, but I, don't, I haven't seen a maypole of it. I Maybe seen I'm just maypole. envisioning that. But they're, in a, they're in a field and there's frolicking. They going do the on. dance. They, they do, do the dance. dance. They do the weather and heights yeah. dance. Is okay. what they do. I just envisioned a maypole just to make it more festive. My, hey, we my could bad. do that. We could start. Yes. Bush, you know, we could do the religion of you know, the gospel of the dreaming and just focus on that and we can have a maypole there or something. Absolutely. It could be like absolutely mid- be the MC of that. It could be like midsummer, but less bloody or maybe as oh. bloody. Well, I, I agree with that. I always say that Midsummer was the most hilarious film I've ever watched. So that soundtrack with the dreaming could be, you know, absolute pure joy. I think we're on to something here. I think we'll need to take that conversation offline and have a meeting. Well, obviously, we've just begun to unpack all things Kate Bush. So this is going to have to be a two-parter. So can I please ask you, Anne and Ginny, if you can come back again to continue this discussion? Of course, of course. Absolutely, I'm in. (laughs) Awesome. I am in as well. Thank you, Anne and Ginny. We'll be back later. I'm Lindsay Parker. Thanks for listening. Part two is coming up. And remember to give Totally 80s a rate and review on your favorite podcast platform. was Totally 80s, the podcast dedicated to the music of the greatest decade ever. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Totally 80s, and please leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Until our next episode, catch you on the flip side. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.